listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Sports Pharmacy Podcast. My name is Dr. H and I am your host. I am a wellness pharmacist, pharmacy owner, and certified sports nutritionist. Join me while we discuss a wide range of topics ranging from health and wellness, sports, and even some small business secrets. Feel free to join our Discord for more interactions with me and other fellow listeners. Now let's get into the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome sports pharmacy fans. Dr. H here with you. I have a friend of mine that we got connected on LinkedIn, and he was gracious enough to come chat with us today. I have Dr. Jules Wolf from University of Illinois Champaign. How are you, sir? I'm very well. How are you? It's good to meet you, man. I know it's our second time being able to see each other on video, and the first podcast got a little bit, wasn't able to get it done with you, but I'm glad we were able to reschedule. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. So first off, sir, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm Jules Wolf. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. I'm in the Department of Recreation, Sports, and Tourism, and I teach sport management there. Amazing. Amazing. And you're highlighting a little bit about the research that you've got that you're working on over there. So why don't you provide us a little bit of an overview on your research and how it focuses on sports and health? Yeah, so um, my interest is fundamentally I look at uh, the connection between sport and health and, and how we uh, develop human potential. And as a former athlete, my initial training was in physiology. And so I've always been very interested in how we develop people. And I look at sport and the ways in which that can happen and also the ways in which it can happen in a bad way as well. The main focus that I look at in my research is performance enhancing drugs. And so what I'm really interested there is how do we influence people or how people influence to use drugs, misuse them, abuse them, and abstain from them as well. So uh, obviously one of the things when we talk about performance enhancing Medicaid drugs is anti-doping. That's one of the big things. I know that's, I understand that's one of your passions as well. And you really do, one of the cool things about your research is you really dive into the psychology of the athlete and kind of figure out why that's happening, what is the reasoning. And you and I talked about it a little bit is like trying to be that perfect athlete, the get your 100% of your overall performance. So what can you highlight a little bit? And what are some of the examples that you found and in, in what you've done in your research? Yeah, I think one of the, the main ones I did uh, a while back, and this was actually came about from listening to a State of the Union speech that George Bush gave. This was during the Balco years. So okay. this is a... a Just first George Bush or the second? Sorry. Um, second, yeah. Second, got it. George yeah. W. Got I gotcha. myself. I went back to two Bushes. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to say it, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this was at the time, and McGuire and, and other athletes were being tied to Balco. Victor Conte and, and Major League Baseball is having this steroid issue. Bush came out and he gave a, a, a speech at the State of Union and he mentioned that uh, professional athletes need to be role models for youth. And I was really curious about that because I asked myself, are they really role models? You know, do young athletes look up to professional athletes and say, if, if you're using drugs, maybe I should do too. And of course. I wanted to investigate that. And basically what I did was we did this survey where we looked at young athletes so adolescent athletes, and we were asking them who influences them the most, their peers, their teammates, their friends, whether it was college athletes or professional athletes. And one of the things that came through that, and, and it's one of these things where sometimes the best research is the simplest, is the outcome was in many ways very intuitive. And that is what really mattered to young athletes was what their friends were doing and what their friends were saying. 
And if your friends are using form attention drugs, or if your friends are approved of the use of form attention drugs, that means you're more likely to use yourself as opposed to if a professional athlete is using it. And so that was really a study that challenged the idea that we should be looking at professional athletes as role models when it comes to performance enhancing drug use. Yeah, and that's that's still even a debate today. I know a lot of people look to athletes to be the voice of society. I'll give an example. LeBron James, obviously one of the most world-renowned athletes that we have now. Anytime he tweets any, sorry, anytime that he tweets anything or anything that he mentions that he gets behind, it's so dramatically taken. And now, especially with the information age, you get information from any athlete, right? There's more exposure to athletes now, both personally and on and off the pitch. So yeah, it really speaks volume. I truly think the problem's just gotten worse. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you look at things like social media, so I think with a more socially acceptable behavior, like supplement use. I think that under those conditions, they're going to be more influential. But if an athlete is doing something that would be considered taboo or socially unacceptable, like performance-centered drug use, that's not going to have the same sort of impact. I do think that when we think about social media, you know, the athletes can be quite influential with regards to more uh, socially acceptable behaviors. Exactly. Eating healthy, exercising. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is just as important. It's yeah, making sure that you have that, that foundation. But like obviously whenever you have the high the heightened amount of information is that you start seeing more and more of these athletes getting in trouble for PEDs. And when you and I first chatted the first time, we were talking about Paul Pogba and him his testosterone supplementation. Yeah. This is one of the situations where we think that professional athletes are uh, taken care of, getting good advice. And, and based on what I've read, it, it does sound like he had some poor advice and these sorts of cases really shouldn't happen. At the professional mm-hmm. level, an athlete shouldn't be taking a supplement, whether it was a friend or someone else gave them. This should be something that should be managed. And these athletes should have, effectively, should have systems in place to make sure these athletes are getting the best information so that mm-hmm. these sorts of unintentional positive tests are, are prevented. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that. We talked about the issue, right? So how can sports organizations, coaches, and athletes work together to ensure that a sport delivers on the, its promise as a benefit of society, particularly where we're talking in terms of promoting positive health outcomes and discouraging negative behaviors. Yeah, this is this it's is a loaded a, question. Yeah, it's a big one. It's, it's hard hard to to know where to start with that. I, I would say a, a few things. I think the, one of the challenges we have, sport is very popular. We we look at sport. Uh, a lot of people see it as as being uh, overall good for society. Uh, it helps to uh, develop people, helps to teach character, all these great things. But I think that, that what we have to understand and realize is that it's more of a case that sport can do these things. Exactly. It's not, it doesn't mean that it will always do that. And so when we think about sport and how we structure sport, how we engage in sport, we have to be aware of these assumptions that we make. And, and sport can t- teach character. It can be a place for character building if we conduct sport in the right way. And when we have sports systems where we're really more focused on a mentality of win at all costs, that at younger ages, what matters is, is winning rather than enjoyment and, and the developing relationships with your teammates and all these sort of positive things. So sometimes we have to dial back and think about sport and, and not try and take what's happening at the professional level and just say, we want to do sport at the, at the local level uh, with youth, then we just need to do what the NFL is doing and and, and uh, have it at the same level as our, as our young kids are. There's a progression that has to take place. 
Uh, and when we think about sport, we really need to be uh, trying to structure it in a way that achieves what we really want to achieve. Yeah, and I, I, I want to echo a little bit. So for me, I, I know I didn't tell you last time, I, I played college soccer. That was one of my big things. I grew up playing soccer my whole life. Before I started really getting deeper into it is I did eight years of uh, Taekwondo and got my, my first degree black belt, actually. And when you talk about building character and, and building you as a youth, one of the big things that was instilled with us in Taekwondo was discipline and mm -hmm. making sure that you stick to your schedule, you're not engaging and you're fighting for anything but self-defense. And that's one thing that, that I honed even when I was playing soccer. Mm -hmm. I also became a referee because I wanted to understand that these are the rules that you could break and this is how you break it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's more of just understanding that it, it builds leadership, right? It builds character and it builds your discipline even more. And when you start building that at an early age, that's when you start as students progress into college and professional and, and so on. I think that's a really important value. And it's something that I think it's missing in youth sports is that sense of discipline that comes with it. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's, you know, one of the challenges that we have in sport is that we need people to run sport, right? So we need to have those dads, moms who are willing to come down on a Sunday and coach. We need people who want to referee. And, and, and this is fantastic. It's great that we have people who are willing to give their time. Uh, I think one of the challenges though, is that there's, there's limited uh, ways in which we make sure these individuals are well-trained and understand the, the you know, development process of, of young athletes. And yeah, there's things out there where they can get training and I'm sure some of them do, but we, there's not like a widespread mandatory system in place to ensure that young athletes are being coached on a Sunday morning by someone who has been trained in child development and knows the right way to develop young athletes. And so that's one of the, the, the issues. It, it's hard to mandate that, but uh, realizing that we are, in many ways, we're, we're dependent upon volunteers to help out. And, and so while that's great that we have people who are willing to do that, we also want to help ensure that these individuals have the, the, the skill set, the, the training, the knowledge to uh, implement sport in the way we want it to be implemented. Mm -hmm. Because in all honesty, they do such a big part of developing a student oh, Even yeah. for me. I remember my two coaches very well, coach Kennedy, coach McCray. I'll never forget them because shout out to them, by the way, so guys, hope you guys listen. They really helped me along with my parents and everything around me just to help the, the, the shape the person that I am. And if you're not started on the, the correct path, mm -hmm. I won't give any names, but I know my brother didn't have the same experience that I did in soccer. So I, I know he was, he had a bad coach and. It ruined the sport for him. So it's building those foundations early on mm -hmm. can lead into the, into future problems, but we also have to find ways to prevent newer things from happening. And I'll, I'll give you an example and I'll, I'll let you speak on it as well. When Deandre Hopkins, who's a uh, wide receiver for, he used to be for the Texans, then became for the Cardinals. He actually got busted for PEDs for taking a supplement. He didn't know was even affecting his system. Like he didn't even know there was no information that got there. And one of the first things that the Cardinals did was they actually hired a pharmacist to be their sports pharmacist mm -hmm. that checked, that tracks every single supplement that goes on in their body. And I've spoken to other athletes in, in the college game who every single supplement they take has been vetted appropriately by three different people before it gets to the player, mm -hmm. which is really cool to see. And I really want to see more of that. So is there anything else that you see trends in the sp field of sports and health management that you find promising? So I'm going to twist this, you know, my answer just a little bit and, and yeah. uh, speak to this issue of contamination. So on the one hand, when we think about anti-doping, drug-free sport, in my experience, 
and, and there are some athletes out there, but the vast majority of athletes that I've ever spoken to, including those who have told me that um, they have used in the past or think about using in the future, none of them really want to be in a system where there's rampant drug use, where anyone can use whatever they want at any time. And, and so the, the question of well, then how do you then control that? And the, the way we've gone about it more recently is to have a system where you know, athletes can be tested at any time. There's random drug testing. There's the issue that your samples get held for a long period of time so that they can go back and check should new advances in technology happen. Some people think it might be an invasion of privacy. It's too much on the athlete. But the question then becomes, don't do it that way. How, if you have all these loopholes, you're going to make it easier and easier for athletes to to use. And then it means that you know, the system becomes a farce. So when it comes to sports supplements, you know, the challenge we have there is that the industry for the, for the most part is self-regulated. And what we've seen, at least the data, data I've seen, is that uh, the rate of contamination over time has gotten worse. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's not getting better. So the anxiety of self-regulation doesn't seem to be working very well. And, and the contamination could, could happen for you know, a variety of reasons. It could be just cross-contamination through the factory being used to make multiple different types of uh, product. There's potential that people might be purposely contaminating if they want the product to, to, to effectively work. They want to make their product look better, right? Yeah. And so the challenge then becomes you have sports supplements, which many athletes assume are necessary. Mm-hmm. And that's questionable. And, and, and so you have a system where athletes can go to a local store, buy a, a pre-workout or buy a protein product. And then that becomes contaminated in some capacity and they get tested positive. That's really not what we want to do with anti-doping. We don't want to catch people who are inadvertently getting Mm -hmm. foreign scientific drugs in their system. How do you then square those two things? On the one hand, you want to try and control doping so that no one's doing it. And on the other hand, you have a system in place where people can inadvertently get a positive test just because of purchasing of a poor product. So... The issue here is then that we have to find a way to try and ensure that when athletes do look for supplements, that like your example, that they have a pharmacy on staff or they have uh, something in place to make sure that uh, these supplements are safe, they've been checked multiple times, um, um, batch checked, uh, so that the, this, the chances of an inadvertent positive test are, are, are almost negligible. And that's a big issue with the, this, I call it the supplement game is that, mm-hmm. and I recently did a TikTok on it. It's not regulated by anybody. Like FDA doesn't care or they don't, they should, but they don't. The, the GMP, the good manufacturing practice is not even involved. I could literally put anything I want in a capsule and say, Hey, this has the best testosterone booster you'll ever have. And me as a pharmacist, I can market it all day. And then people just, people buy that stuff, man. It's terrible. So here, here's the thing is that supplements and, and also performance hunting drugs, they provide this promise, a very alluring promise that, hey, if I take this supplement, it's going to have this magical effect on me. It's going to maybe stronger, it's going to look better. Uh, and so it's a very powerful proposition. So you know, the question is, we, we really should be trying to educate the consumer about what exactly they do need when it comes to sports supplements. In myself, the only thing I use now on a regular basis would be creatine. And, and yeah. that's mainly because the research I've seen is that it's it's good for 
for us, people who are getting older and helping with things like so cognitive decline and those sorts of things. And But I'm, I'm not doing the pre-workout, post-workout shakes and stuff like that or having... Too much. It's no, too much. yeah. It's, it, and of course, it's often, it tends to be very expensive too, so... Yeah. Yeah, it adds up. That's for sure. I have I have my own regimen that I'll go through. That's for a later episode. That creatine's probably one of my favorites that I recommend, and mm-hmm. especially at lower doses, it prevents that squishy effect that some athletes get from retaining water from taking too much creatine. Definitely neuroprotective, great nootropic. I add on. I don't know about your research, but have mm-hmm. you checked out anything with lion's mane? No, I have not. Come oh man, incredible. It's derived from the mushroom, the lion's mane mushroom that literally looks like lion's mane. Like it looks like the hair of lion. The supplement that I take has lion's mane, creatine, and dicaffeine malate. So it helps with a slow absorption of caffeine. So it's not like a big jump of it. It's a slow absorption over a couple of hours. Check them out, man. Facet Athlete, one of my friends owns the company and he showed me their manufacturing. I see everything they've done and lion's mane helps with cognitive behavior. And it's been showing studies with with, uh, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's patients too. So I definitely recommend you check that out if you have some time. So let's talk a little bit about you, man. Martial arts guy, right? Yeah, yeah. I definitely like to to follow martial arts. I think it's a a fascinating sport. Yeah, very much enjoy it. Yeah. So did did you do any growing up? I I did a little bit. I wasn't very good. I did Taekwondo. (laughs) I tried a little bit here and there, but nothing ever consistent. But I think for, for me, I was, I was fortunate that one of my friends, he's a black belt in, in a variety of different, I think it's Kung Fu and some other martial arts as well. Uh, but, but he introduced me to mixed martial arts. We went to a, a fairly large event. This is pre the big UFC shows. And I was fortunate because he was explaining what was going on. So he's explaining the ground game. And, and that's when I really started to get into it and start to realize there's a lot of nuances into this sport. It's very oh, yeah. technical effectively it's human chess and so that's what i started to really enjoy watching mixed martial arts yeah so who are some of your favorite uh, fighters now Whew. yeah it's a challenging one everyone has different styles there's a striking like you said there's a grappling so i, I guess my mic i'm not i don't really watch it i get very uncomfortable watching people fight it's okay. i don't know why it's really weird for me but i i like khabib because he would just make you surrender like relentless pressure and that's one of my favorite things to see about 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 any sport part of the reason why i support Bayern is that they just they suffocate people and suffocate teams that they're just they can't do anything to get out of their shell like, a, like almost like a boat constrictor so for you what, what is your favorite aspect of fighting or if there are some fighters that do it that that you like I, I, it's one thing that would, would so for me is as a in sport it might sound counterintuitive that i don't see myself as a quote-unquote fan of sport but I, I so when i watch sport and this comes from we had a very so i grew up in england we had a very famous sports broadcaster and he was making this point in his, his point is really about drug use. And, but he basically said that when he watches sport, what he's really looking for is the competition. He wants mm. to see the head to head. That's the beauty of sport is it, like seeing how teams or individuals react. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I watch sports, I can watch teams that I'm not a fan of either sport, but what I'm interested in is, is watching the competition. So okay. like, last weekend, the Oregon, uh, Washington game. Well, was phenomenal. Was it was, was, it was so game. enjoyable. And, and yeah. I, I wasn't really rooting for one or the other. I, yeah. I think maybe there might be times where I was like, ooh, I hope one team wins than the other. Yeah. But I'm more, <laughs> really more watching just for the sheer competitive nature of it. So I think with, with mixed martial arts, it's something similar. Mm. I can get enjoyment out of watching a, a, a good dominant wrestler who, who's just taking the person to the ground and, and controlling the fight. Some people might find that kind of boring. 
but I'm looking at you know, how they're controlling the position, how they're maintaining that position. You know, if there's no action, you know, there's no progression. They're just mm -hmm. holding the person down. Then yes, I, I do find that a bit of a turnoff. But if I'm watching like how they're countering any sort of defensive movement or how the person's trying to get out from underneath, uh, I can get enjoyment out of that. I can obviously get enjoyment from a striking game too, but you, know, you can have striking that is also can tend to be a little bit dull if there's lots of uh, feints going on and no real progression. So yeah, so I think I tend to enjoy the matchups more than saying I have a favorite person or athlete. Gotcha. I think I probably watch a little bit less than I used to than when I was a little bit younger. I used to watch it more frequently. But yeah, so yeah. That's cool. I have, I guess I'm the opposite. <laughs> I have the affinities for certain teams. And I just, it like, I like I would ride or die for Bayern Munich, man. That's just been my squad for years. And it's it dict it's probably unhealthy, but it literally dictates my moods. As far as if the team sucks, then I'm going to be sucky. You know what I mean? It's just that kind of thing that happens. Funny story, my wife and I got engaged during the uh, Carolina Panthers Super Bowl because I joked with her. At the time. I, I'm a Panthers fan from North Carolina. Uh -huh. I joked with her. I said, when Cam Newton gets a ring, you get a ring when we were dating. And I said, <laughs> So that's how much sport dictates my life, which is probably unhealthy. But it is what it is. We're married, thankfully now, so we're okay. But yeah, man, I, I can appreciate that. I, I like watching games that I know they're going to be good games because it's fun to watch teams just go to head mm -hmm. at each other, and it's, especially in the realm of college football. That's always fun. So I can definitely see see how that goes. So just so based on your research, what advice do you have offer to individuals who are looking to engage in sports and physical acti activities as a means of improving their overall health and well being? Yeah, so I think so. I used to be a, a coach. I have you know some experience in, in coaching. Oh, what did you coach? I was a strength and, and, and conditioning coach. Working pro basketball. I worked under Nick Nurse, who's now at Philadelphia. Oh, so nice. When he was in when he was in England, I worked under him. And yeah, at one point, I had my own business where I was coaching athletes. I think one of the best pieces of advice is you want to have a balance. You want to. When I say balance, I'm thinking about having a, a mixture of cardiovascular workouts as well as strength workouts. We have, I think because of the dominance of bodybuilding over the years, we've gotten to this mentality that when you go to the gym, it's like, today, what are you working on today? Well, today's a legs day. I just My did belt. that today, man. <laughs> <laughs> today was push day at, my, at the gym for me. That's funny. I have done some research in mixed martial arts and spent some time with some of the fighters there. And there's one of the fighters, I remember, very telling for me. We were talking about his training and I can't remember why it came up. We started talking about weightlifting and he basically said, look, if I want to get stronger, I just wrestle more. I don't really need to use weights. And why I would probably argue having weights would be good. I think that he was thinking of weights is, is trained like a bodybuilder. And for myself now, when I go in to work out, when you think about athletes, like a wrestler, they don't go out to wrestle and say, okay, today's a leg day. It's your whole body day. Every day is a whole body day. And so that's basically what I do is every time I go into the gym, I do a whole body workout. I'm what does not... that entail? What's that? Just for my curiosity, because I see it's for yeah. those who's not watching my boy, Dr. Jules Wolf is jacked. I just want y'all to know that my boy's <laughs> looking good over there. So walk me through like a work. Let's say you're going to the gym after work today. Tell me about your workout. What is it you're going to do? Yeah, it depends, but a, a, a good workout might start off with maybe a, a mile or two jog. I'm a little bit older, so I'm, I'm not running like seven, eight minute mile pace. So it's probably for most, some people would be like a jog more than a run. And then I will go through a progression of different exercises. I might do squats, I might do bench press, but basically I'm doing one set, sorry, one exercise per body part. So 
Within that, there'll be some form of leg exercise, like a squat or a step up. There'll be some sort of um, back exercise, like a chin up. I try and do some compound movements, movements that involve more than one joint, squats, pull-ups, press-ups, bench press. And, and oftentimes what I'll, I'll tend to do is as I'm doing that, I, I will periodically go back and, and run. And so I might run like a three minute or two minute break in between each set. So that way I'm not, not sitting around resting. I, I, I see a lot of people when they're in the gym, they seem to spend more time resting than actually working. Mm-hmm. And I'm a busy guy. I don't have two hours to be in the gym. So yep. I, I go in and, and I think a great workout for me would be somewhere in the region of uh, three to five miles. When I'm healthy, I get up six. Um, nice. But uh, within that, now, I'm- my, my dad is, he's, how old is he now? 65, 66, okay. 67. He runs five miles a day still, even yeah, now. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah he's a, I hate running. I'll tell you right now, man. I <laughs> force myself because like you said, cardio is important, yeah. especially to build your vasculature, to build just your overall blood flow. It's super mm-hmm. important. And I always recommend it at the, both at the beginning and at the end. And my gym sessions are usually like 30, 45 minutes. I don't, mm-hmm. like you said, I don't have time to be there that for that long. So it's making sure you're staying active for that long, man. So I, I appreciate you mentioning that too. Yeah, no, it's good. It's, it's, it's a great way to you know, start the day in the day. And yeah, I, I think it's important to, for, especially as, as we, we're getting older, we want to be functional. I want to be able to walk and run when yeah. I'm 65, 80. Yeah. So it's, it's important. It's uh you know, being consistent is a challenge sometimes. Have you ever, I don't know if at your gym you've seen it, but they have those like those weighted carts that you can either pull or push. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Those? yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I do one where I have the rope around my waist mm-hmm. and I'm pulling it back using my lower body. It helps with like knee strength and making sure that your joints are staying really strong. Yeah. I like that one a lot. And are you going forward or backward with that? Are you pulling backwards? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm going backwards. Yeah. yeah. Going backwards. It helps. I did a TikTok on it. it helps just because I've always had knee problems. So it really helps strengthen the knee joint. That's really important. Yeah. I think that it, uh, it goes to the point that when I earlier I was talking about balance, some people, you know, they want to have the, the big biceps and the, and the big chest, yep. but you, you need to have that, the triceps in the back. And in the case of your example is the hamstrings to exactly. you know, have that balance for the quads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's the future look like for you, Dr. Wolf? Yeah, so it's looking really good. I've got a, a couple of projects that I'm running and finishing up right now. One is looking at, uh, so I do some work in the Caribbean. Uh, one is looking at young athletes and how they're influenced by their parents, their friends, their coaches. Oh, that's awesome. We're also doing a lot of work on education. And one of the challenges with anti-doping is the more you get into it, you start to realize, wow, it's fairly complicated. And then being a pharmacist yourself, you, you know that there's all these chemical names. And, and the question was, how do we ensure that athletes know the rules? How do we educate athletes about anti-doping? But at the same time, not make it into a huge chemical te- a chemistry test. And so we're looking at ways in which we can improve education so that it's uh, going to be something that athletes can digest, that it's going to be packaged in a way that's going to inform them so that things such as inadvertent doping don't happen. So we're looking at that as well. Awesome, man. Dr. Jules Wolf, University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Man, I'm so excited you were able to make work my into your schedule. I know you have a class to teach later, bro. So I really appreciate your time. I don't know. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, H. We'll have you on again. Hopefully in the future, we can talk more about the psychology involved yeah. and what the adolescent teaching would be. I think that's super important for people. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Thank you. Awesome. And I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, consider giving us a five-star review anywhere that you get your episodes. Follow us at Sports Pharmacy Pod, as well as me, your host, at Dr. Mixalot. 
Join our Discord server for more interactions with me and fellow listeners. As always, stay well, stay hydrated, and I will catch you next time.